And welcome to another episode of the 60 Go podcast. My name is Tom Campbell, and it's great to have your company. As we head into another episode, you know how it works. We will cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest today is Josh Hannay. The Sharks are on a bye week this week, so I thought I'd get Josh on to discuss the first five weeks of the Sharks season. Also, I might even chat a little bit about State of Origin as well. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Josh Hannay. I'm joined by Josh Hannay as the next guest of the 60Go podcast. Josh, how are you, mate? Yeah, very well. How are you? Really good, thanks. Got six topics to cover with you, and I'll kick things off with the season so far. Josh, you guys are in a bye at the moment, five weeks in. You rank second in attack, but bottom four in defence. Can you talk to me about how you and Craig and the other coaches have viewed the first month or so? Yeah, I think, um, you know, statistics don't lie, right? And I think um, our attack, certainly over the past couple of weeks since, um, you know, obviously coincided with Nico uh, Hines being back on the field. He's integral to the way we play and, and, and I think he just brings so many other players into the game. So certainly our attack has benefited from, from Nico getting back on the park. And you know, I just think um, defensively, um, some of the, the, the numbers, the underlying numbers, if you like, point to us not being as bad defensively as... as, as, as uh, where we sit on the, on the defensive ladder. I just think at the moment something we've identified is just a, a little bit of a lack of, um, um, I guess, resilience to defend errors. I think, you know, we're, we're paying a really big price when we do make an error at the moment. Um, and that's something we need to get better at and um, our ability to def- defend errors because at the moment, as I say, we, we feel like uh, for large parts of the game we're defending well for certain certain uh, periods but at the moment if we do make an error we seem to be uh, paying a, a heavy price so that's that's you know an area where we need to improve and, and an area we've addressed and we'll work really hard on uh, to improve in the coming weeks. Defence obviously is the glaring issue with Cronulla at the moment and to me d- does this go back to the end of last year as well because you guys conceded 30 points in both finals games as well for a team that was so good during the year last year First of all, how do you get back to that? But also, do you think the problems are from last year as well? Yeah, it's a good question and a good point. I think, um, yeah, if you go back to those last two games, uh, the final series, we conceded 30-plus points in both those games. And um, and then this year, you know, we've, um, with Parramatta, we won that game. That conceded 26 points. You know, we've conceded 32 on the weekend. So it's, it's a really... Um, interesting you know because you look back at our year last year and, and, and at the end of the regular season I think we were third in defense um, and I don't know if it's a little bit of a uh, crisis of confidence or um, yeah it, it's really it's a hard one to put our finger on because for for so much of last year it was a real strength of ours and it's something we we like to hang our hat on as a, as a club and I think statistics show um, if you, if you want to win a competition you've got to be in the top couple of teams defensively uh, any given year, so it's um, it's 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 paramount to your to your ability to win the competition. So we work really hard on it. I know, you know, where we sit with our attack. Um, you know, people might think we we put more time into that than we do our defence, but you know, I can assure you and and any Cronulla fan out there that the, the, the defensive side of our game is what we work most on. And and I think last year we showed over the course of an entire season that. 
Um, we are a good defensive unit when we're when we're all on the same page and, and sticking to our principles. It's certainly though the last last half a dozen games for whatever reason we've just yeah we're just lacking a little bit of confidence and belief in what we're doing and you know we're working really hard to fix that. No, Nico, obviously for the first part of the season, but having a player like Braden Trindle's very handy. Yeah, he's um, he's a he's a guy that um, we've, we've put a lot of time into. Um, you know, we believe he's he's part of our future. Um, we, we've seen him grow, um, and every time he's got an opportunity, um, you know, to fill big shoes, he's always he's always done a really good job. I'm personally a really big fan of his. I think he's a he's a gifted ball player. Um, they don't grow on trees. Um, ball players. It's it's a really it's one of those positions in our game that um, yeah, there's not a lot not a lot of them out there. So we feel really fortunate that we've got uh, Braden there waiting in the wings. Um, he's getting a really good apprenticeship um, working under uh, Nico and Matt Moylan. Uh, Matt's been in you know the game a long time and he's a real pro and he knows he knows how to play the position and obviously Nico's a superstar. So. You know, Braden's um, he's happy to bide his time, particularly as I, as I say. I think he, he knows that he's in a good system. He's doing a really good apprenticeship, and yeah. But I do have to say, we're really fortunate to have him. I think he'd probably be a starter at not probably half the teams in the competition if you look at them. Um, so yeah, we're really lucky to have him, and um, you know, we know we're confident that whenever he gets his opportunity, uh, he's not going to let us down. This only happened in the last ten minutes or so, so it's fortunate timing for myself. Uh, the Nico Hines extension. Uh, what a yep. great what a great story in rugby league Nico is. Yeah, he is. He's um, you know I think you know even if you don't know Nico well or, or you're just a fan of our game, I think any time you, you you listen to Nico speak, you can't help but be impressed by um, by Nico the, the the person um, as well as Nico the footballer. You know he's got a he's got a really good head on his shoulders. I think he's got a great story. You know it's it's. Where he's gotten to in in, in his life and where he's at um, as a footballer, I think is, is it's been a really challenging journey. And I think he's he's a great uh, he's a great example for any young, not just a footballer, but any young person out there in in, in terms of resilience, uh, holding on to your dream, and and and, um, and I guess unwavering self belief. Like he's he's he certainly had some hurdles and some challenges in his. In his journey, Nico, both uh, you know professionally and personally, and um, I just think he's a great example, as I say, to to, to any young person out there. And um, we're we're really fortunate to have him. Um, um, as I say, he's, he's an extremely gifted player. But I think um, the person Nico is is probably probably been the pleasant surprise for all of us. He's he brought leadership that we didn't know he had, and um, and as I say, that the, the caliber of person he is, it, it's probably we probably weren't aware that he's such a, a wonderful young man as well. So he's, he's the complete package, um, and he's, 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 a, he's a great example for, for all the young players in our club, and um, he he's a, he's a, uh, represents our club uh, extremely well. Josh, to me, it's been a long time since the competition has been this tight. Uh, last year, I honestly thought Penrith were a lay-down Mazaire all year. The year before, I could really only make a case for two or three teams to win it all, whereas this year, there are probably six teams I can make genuine arguments about why they can win the comp. You don't have to name them, but how many teams do you think are genuine chances this year? Yeah, I think um, certainly the opening of this year has been very open. Um, there's some uh, probably some surprise packets, if you if you want to call them that. There's certainly some clubs that 
pieced out of the eight last year that have improved over the off-season and uh, started the year off well. I think, I still believe by the end of the year, um, there'll be a half a dozen teams that, um, um, I guess, been mainstays of the of the top eight for, for a number of years that the cream will rise to the top. Um, I'd like to think we're, we're one of those clubs. You look at uh, the Rabbitohs, um, um, down where we are at the moment, uh, the Cowboys, after last year, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling a little bit at the moment, but I believe they will um, rise as well. So I think I think um, there's greater parity in the competition from top to bottom, but I still do believe that um, come the end of the year, there'll be a, there'll be a, a familiarity, in my opinion, with the, the six clubs that uh, also that, that are up the top. But I do agree with your point about it not being uh, such a lay-down uh, fact that, you know, Penrith, Penrith, I think, have been streets ahead of every other team in the comp, probably for the past couple of years. I obviously don't believe that's the case. Um, I think they'll still be there when the whips are cracking, but I certainly think, given the players they lost over the course of the off-season, um, you know, they're, they're having to fill those gaps with players that are not of equal standard. So I think that's brought them back to the pack, and, and there's just been some natural improvement in some other teams as well. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a good competition. It's good for the fans. Um, it's good that, apart from if you're a poor West Tigers fan, that you, you go to the you go to the races every week and feel like your horse has a chance of winning. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 a, it's a good it's it's a really good way to start our season. But yeah, I think I think there'll be a familiarity come the end of the year about the teams that are up up near the pointy end. As coaches especially, you must get so stressed over some of the results that happen. We'll take the weekend's game, for example. When you're up 20-0, you fully expect to win from there in the NRL. And we'll talk about that game a little bit later. But how much effort goes into educating players, in particular the spine, about icing the games? Yeah, we talk about it all the time. It's, it's one of my specific roles at the club is, is uh, I, I, I um, coach our attack and um, and with that, I'm you know, dealing with our spine um, around many parts of our game, how we finish our sets, um, how we play the game in general and, 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 and how we handle big moments. And, you know, part of it, there's, 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 we do a lot of scenario training, um, you know, up by 10, down by 10. You know, there's all types of scenarios we train with our guys to try and prepare them for when they, they're faced with those scenarios um, in the heat of the battle. And, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an ongoing process I think um, because I don't take for granted the, the the pressures of of being a spine player out there in the heat of the battle and and the game just throws constant curveballs at you and as I say you, you're constantly faced with these different ever changing scenarios and situations and do we do our best the best that we can as coaches to as I say try and prepare our guys for those those situations and certainly. Um, I guess the clarity, uh, connection, and, and composure of your spine is, is um, really important in, in terms of how you handle those different scenarios. And I feel like we're fortunate. I feel like we've got, you know, one of the better spines in the competition. Um, you know, Will Kennedy's doing a great job at the at the back. Blake Braley's got a really calm head on his shoulders, and and yeah, Nico Hines and Matt Morn, um, one of the better half pairings in the competition. So definitely fortunate to work with the spine that I do. And um, and very, more often than not, they, they get it right. Um, but, yeah, we probably, the other day, as a collective, we just um, we let that one get away for, for a number of reasons. Um, but certainly we don't lay that, that blame on the, on the shoulders of our spine. It was a, it was a collective um, letdown, if you like. 
I just mentioned the Warriors game. I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, so I don't want to look like a know-it-all. But even in the moment, I found it strange to go for two when you guys were up 18-0. Can you talk me through the thinking with you guys at that point? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you're always damned if you do, damned if you don't in those situations um, in terms of being a coach and and deciding to take the two or roll the dice and, and continue to play on. I think... Part of it comes down to knowing your group. And I, mean, I think with our guys, um, we, you know, we're attacking obviously extremely well to start that game and we earned that 18 0 lead. Um, I do feel like sometimes with our group um, specifically, um, it doesn't hurt to just actually put the, you know, just pump the brakes a little bit on them at different times and, and just slow everything down a little bit. And at that point, we just, we just thought that. Um, I think taking the two at that point obviously puts us further ahead than three converted tries. That's the obvious reason. But for us, it was also just a, an opportunity to reset, collect ourselves and not get ahead of ourselves, um, which we feel like we're a relatively young football team. Uh, we're a pretty flamboyant football team. And um, and we just, yeah, and I, and I, I, I don't sort of second guess and the decision. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, it's Craig Fitzgibbon's decision. It's it's a head coach's decision, but we're all in agreement in the box. And at that point, given the group that we are and, and how we know our group intimately, we felt like it, it was just going to serve us well to to, um, to just calm everything down for a moment and um, consolidate the start that we'd had. We had a red-hot start, and we just felt like that was the right decision, yeah. Was there a turning point in that moment where you thought to yourself, hang on, we might be in trouble here? Um, there was no, there was no particular, you know, one point. I think, um, I think the one thing we knew going into the game and we gave, you know, we always respect our opposition, but one of the things we we spoke about, uh, with our, uh, opponent, the Warriors, it's been evident in their opening few games is that they they, they don't go away, uh, this year. They hang around, they, there's, um, it's obviously something they've addressed over the off-season is that ability to hang in there even when the game's not going your way. And So we always knew, even at, at 20-0, um, we, we, we prepared our guys all week for a football team that wasn't going to go away. So it didn't surprise me that um, they they always stayed close enough. You know, we got the 20-0, they brought it back to 20-6, to and then we scored another try, and then they, they scored a try. And we, we knew... Um, we put our points on really early in the game, so there was still a lot of time to go. So, you know, our messaging was was really consistent uh, to the group, and and um, yeah, but you know, it would have been great to get the result. And we, you know, when you score thirty points, you should be walking away with a win. But the, certainly the fact that they stuck around and um, didn't wave the white flag came as no surprise to us. We, you know, that's that's something they've, as I say, really improved over the course of the off season and. And they, they were the same against us, and um, so it was. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't look back on any one point where I went, "Oh no," but the fact that they um, were able to stick in and play tough and, and not let the game get away from them didn't come as a surprise. Can you tell me what was gener- generally said in the sheds after the game? Oh, uh, you know, the general feeling is an obvious one. It's one of disappointment. I think, as I say, you, you score thirty points. And you should be winning those games of football. Um, that's that's twice in the last sort of seven games. You go back to our seven uh, our semi-final at home against the Cowboys, scored 30 points in that game, and um, you need to be winning those games when you when you're scoring that many points. So um, disappointment, um, and particularly given the start. You know, we 
got out to a 20 nil lead, 26-6, um, playing good football. Um, and, you know, I think the manner in which we, uh, I think, uh, um, contributed to letting the Warriors back into the game, I think they, credit to them, they, they kept themselves in the game, but I, I think we also invited them back into the game with just some basic errors, a um, couple of, you know, drop balls from individuals that are usually so safe and reliable. So that just that manner in which we... We, um, I guess, contributed contributed to our own demise was was the disappointing thing, and 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 you know, I guess probably to be really frank as well, it's probably an element of disbelief when you you're in the sheds after um, such a good start. You know, twenty as I say, twenty six six midway through the, or the back end of the first half, you kind of you know, sixty minutes later, you're sitting in the sheds, kind of scratching your head a little bit, um, <laughs> but. But it's one of those things you can't dive too deeply into the, the technical, tactical side of it straight after a game. It's you know it's, it's one of those things where you need to address it. But we all go away as coaches. We review it. Uh, players have a chance to think about it, and and um, we dive deeper into it in our review um, the following day. So yeah, it was it was probably as much of a feeling of disbelief as anything. Josh, I wrote an article for the paper this week, and I'd like your thoughts on the topic. Basically, it said, I know there's a lot of hype around expanding the comp after the success of the Dolphins had in starting the year, but with concussion being becoming a big topic, and that is the new policies around it, which, let's face it, will only get stricter and not relaxed, I believe we should focus on protecting the current clubs and therefore the quality of the competition by expanding rosters to 35 or maybe even 40, rather than focusing on bringing in new teams. Can I get your opinion on what you think this should be the priority there? Yeah, I think, you know, I... I think everyone, we, we just need to, uh, you know, I think give the Dolphins situation uh, time to, to to really, truly gauge the success of that, that venture. I think the way they've started has been wonderful for them and it's been wonderful for the competition and wonderful for the decision that was made to expand. But, you know, we're, we are, um, you know, five games into the, into the season. Um, I think coming into the season, you know, people were... A lot of people were sort of looking at the Dolphins roster and going, "Oh, you know, this is it's going to be a tough season for them. They don't have the depth, all these types of things." So, I don't think we should, and that, you know, I don't think the tune should be changed there just after five weeks. So, let's give that let's give that new franchise, you know, time to, and let's sit back and look at it in two years' time and, and actually truly see how that's gone. I think the idea of expanding rosters um, is is has to be considered. Um, I think you're already seeing clubs having to request permission to go outside their top 30 to, to fill the 22-man uh, you know, team sheet uh, each week. So there's no doubt the attrition rate of our game is, 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 is getting greater. Um, and, I, I, you know, on, on the topic of it, I think, you know, one of the things that's frustrating me, and I, I spoke to um, some of the players about this today, is, you know, we're obsessed with changing the rules of our game to make the game faster and because we feel like a faster product's a better product. But I just feel like there's not enough attention given to, um, the, the I guess, the potential negatives to that. And, and one of the potential negatives is it, it's getting harder and harder in our game as a defender to, to make a legal tackle. Well, you talk about the hip drops, the crushes, um, obviously, the tackle zone has become a, a lot smaller. You, you literally can't hit above the nipple now. The shoulder charge has been taken out of the game. So, 
you want to speed our game up, but there's always restrictions now around how you can make a tackle. And I'll use the Dale Finucane example from the weekend. He's a tied middle forward who's been putting his all into that game for, for near 70 minutes. He gets a, a clock stage coming at him with footwork. That footwork, you know, beats Dale and, 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 and Charnsy, you know, pokes his nose through the other side and, and Dale's just left making the only tackle that he can make, which is a, which is a legs tackle, which he ends up swinging off um, off, off Coxstad's legs. So there was no malice in it. There was no intent. There was no... It's not something... We don't coach hip, hip, hip drops. It's not a tackle that I don't... Any club coaches, but you talk about the speed of our game and... and yeah, we're making it so hard for defenders to actually make a legal tackle now. So I just think the game needs to put greater consideration into what they want our game to look like and, 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 and just the the potential um, reaction to the, to, the, to the rule changes they make. And if they make the game any quicker and they bring more fatigue into our game, look, you did said not going to be able to make a tackle because... You're going to find yourself in these situations like the crush. Sometimes players end up in a crushing position, and there's no malice, there's no intent. But again, everyone's just moving so fast, so much fatigue in our game um, that that we need to understand that um, with our game, accidents are going to happen. And it's just part of our game; it always has been, and it always will be. Uh, we need to be really, we need to be really sure that the rules we're we're making and the, and the, the game we're we're developing isn't basically making you know the poor old defender obsolete now yeah just on the hip drop i know it's the flavor of the month at the moment um in your time in the game even i'm talking years ago when it wasn't talked about as much as it is now have you ever seen that tactic coached no it's not it's not coached at all and um to to to, to for anyone to think or or believe that that would be coached is is um it couldn't be further from the truth because to, to, if, if you were to coach that that type of tackle, yeah, that's a that's a dirty tackle. It is that that the chances of injuring a player if you were to coach those hip drops, it it, it is significant. So we we no, no no club coaches techniques that could potentially um, harm an opposition player. What we do is we try and teach technique that is safe. First and foremost, for our players, keeps them out of harm's way. And but secondly, it affects an effective tackle. Um, you know, we all know that the speed of the ruck is critical to a team's chances. So, but we're constantly teaching our players safe technique, but also effective technique for slowing an opposition player and slowing that ruck down. So they're, they're the two sort of focal points: safety first, and then ruck control second. Um, but gee, it's getting hard for a defender, honestly, to. to, to to, to be able to make a tackle that couldn't potentially end up in a in a you know dangerous situation, you know, it's just it's getting really really difficult. I had Gerald Yayi on the podcast last week, and he said it wouldn't be an uncommon thing for him to get a concussion in a game, and he he never missed a single game because of concussion. He also explained that he struggles now to go on rides or anything like that with his kids because it hurts his head too much, and. He only played 60-odd NRL games. When you think about it, does it seem so foreign, the procedures now, to when you played? Yeah, I've got to say, it's been arguably the one of the, the greatest evolutions in our game over the last um, 10 or so years is the introduction, the introduction sorry, of the HIA protocols and, I guess, 
most importantly, the awareness around it. Um, you know, I, I, the, the, the modern-day player, um, and, and as they should be, is, is taken uh, such good care of by medical professionals. And I get a little bit um, frustrated when the commentary um, sort of is angled towards this almost this idea that we don't take it seriously enough or... You know, we need to do more. I think back to, as I say, not that long ago, where, and to Drell's point, it was it was a badge of honour if you played on with a head knock and probably go out that night and have a few beers after the game, and then you'd train the following day or two days later, and then you'd back up the next week, and you might get another head knock on top of the head knock you had the week before, and it was just because we didn't know, we didn't know any better as players, we didn't know any differently, and 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 certainly. I guess the research around it, um, medical pr- practitioners are more aware of it now as well. So modern day, the, 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 the safety parameters that are in place for our players are, are um, outstanding. They just are. And, you know, we're, we're doing so much as a game and as a code and as coaches and as players to, to, to be mindful of it. There's so much more mindfulness around it now. And we're doing a wonderful job. And I just I don't feel like we give ourselves a lot of credit when we when we when the discussion is is around that that space, yeah. Joseph Sulee signed with Rugby Union last week, which created a bit of an uproar about what should happen now as far as his involvement in rugby league. Where do you stand on players who sign with a different code, whether it be rugby or anything else, as to what should happen? Yeah, it's, uh, I must I must admit I don't have a strong opinion on it. I think you know the. the the uproar around that last week, I just it got to the point of being borderline comical. Like it, <laughs> he's one player, he's one player, and you know our our game um, in this country is is the, the game of choice for for, for for good young players. Whether if there's a choice between rugby union and rugby league, they invariably choose rugby league because we just we're a better game and. Our systems of junior development uh, are far better, and it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a greater opportunity for for a young for a young kid to come through and play a great sport at a high level. So we're not gonna we're not gonna keep them all, and and, and I just I found I found the the sort of the line it went down last week really, as I say, borderline comical. Look, let the kid go. He's he's made a choice that's in his own best interest. He, he played rugby growing up. Um, and it, he's one player. Like I don't, I, I, I would, I'd be more concerned if there was, a, you know, a flurry of our best players um, leaving our game to go and play another game. But it's one player, and, and we'll, can, we'll, there'll be another surely developed in the next few years that'll come through and play at some club. And our, our record of being able to produce the best athletes in this country is is there for all to see. And it's been the same for so many years now. So just, you know, let the kid make a choice that's in his own best interest. I don't think it shines a good light on us as a code when we get so um, personal about how we react to those things. I think it, I don't think it reflects well on us as a game. Um, and I think we should just have a lot of confidence and belief in our own product that, yeah, we might lose the odd Joseph Sulehis, but there's 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 another one just around the corner. So I fully understand the ARU going for him, and I fully understand the decision he's made. Play on, let's just get on with it. Finally, Josh, Origin teams are about six weeks or so away from being picked. Uh, are you involved in the same role as last year? 
Yeah, yeah, we'll be um, you know, gratefully working with uh, the Maroons again, yeah. Was there any second thoughts as to going in again? Because I can imagine the mental fatigue during those couple of months with, blow, with both club and rep commitments would be torturous at times. Uh, yeah, it's a big commitment, um, but it's it's um, extremely rewarding and satisfying commitment by the same token. It's... Um, yeah, obviously, when you win a series, um, you, your thoughts and feelings around it are only positive. Um, you know, so hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we get the same result again this year. But based on based on the experience last year, um, the result, um, the opportunity to work alongside um, some of the sharpest rugby league minds in the game, and Billy Slater and Cam Smith and Jonathan Thurston, um, it was it was an extremely rewarding experience and. Um, and also working with that calibre of player. Um, you know, you're working with 17 of the best players in the game. Um, being Queenslanders, they're all good blokes. So that, that's, that's <laughs> you know, another good thing. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's the, 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 the rewards, I guess, far outweigh the sacrifices made to be, to be there and be part of that. So, um, yeah, when Bill... Um, called up to, to yeah, see if I was interested in being a part of it again. It was a no-brainer for me. I think everyone will be back on board. I think the way I feel about it is basically how everyone felt about the entire series. He did an amazing job, Bill, of, I guess, bringing everyone together um, to play their part um, in terms of staff. And, and um, I think he was really keen to keep the band together, so to speak. And, yeah, we'll all be back there and, and trying, to, um, trying to go for a repeat. As someone who's involved in the Queensland setup, who stood out to you over the first few weeks of the comp? Uh, good question. I think um, I, th- I think you know we all saw the importance of Cameron Munster uh, and, and what what he can bring to the to the table when he's out on the field. I just um, you know he, I, I think he's probably the best player in the game, uh, most influential certainly. I think Reese Walsh's form at, at Brisbane has been there for everyone to see, and I think you know the the, the Queensland uh, kids there at the Broncos have started the year on fire. I'm talking Paddy Carrigan, um, even and Tom Flegler who wasn't part of our series last year, but I think he's had an enormous start to the year. Salon Cobo, um, those young those young players have really hit the ground running, and and, and Reese Walsh was probably an important one given the issues with Caelan Ponga's. Um, concussion so um, you know we'd like to hope that he can continue the, the way he started the season Jermaine Hopgood jumped out of the ground there at Parramatta um, which is you know really important for us to, you know we don't have a lot of depth um, in terms of players to, to choose from as Queenslanders so it's really important that those guys continue to jump out of the ground um, and yeah I think there's some guys that are probably a little bit off that, that really rose to prominence last year um, that will given time, um, find their best form as well. I think what you're seeing is some players who are involved with World Cup um, squads at the end of last year, they had a late start to their pre-season. I think you're seeing the effects of that a little bit with the way some players have started the season. So I wouldn't be too worried about some of those some of those players um, that may have started the year off slowly. I think you'll see them find their form and rise, rise to their best uh, over the coming weeks, yeah. I've seen a lot of people discuss potential Origin teams over the past couple of weeks, and it will happen more and more, obviously, on the lead into Origin. Someone who, whenever is left out of the Queensland team that they're predicting, I almost just disregard the whole team, and that's Christian Welch. Whilst not being the flashiest player to ever play the game, I think his effort areas are absolutely elite. Can you tell me, as a coach, what you watch when you see Christian? 
Yeah, I think um, he's built a reputation for him, for himself, Christian, um, around the the effort parts of of his game and and what we would term as off the ball effort. So yeah, stuff that the the the, the um, punters might not recognise when they watch the game. Certainly, as coaches, we look for um, how they move defensively when when they're they're not making a tackle. How they push for their mates when when someone else is carrying the football. Things like kick chase, uh, how they move at market. There's all these little areas where um, they all add up. And, and if the more players you can have in your team that tick those 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 effort areas, effort area boxes, um, invariably you're gonna you're gonna um, come out on the right side of the ledger. You know, Reuben Cotter um, was a guy that for us as coaches rose to prominence last year. Around Apart from the obvious, and, and, and you know a lot of his efforts are obvious. There are also a lot of underlying efforts that we were, we were really um, we really liked. Um, Pat Carrigan, another one. So Christian embodies those. He's been doing it for a long time, um, and it, it's 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 fundamental to how to Christian's game and how he plays. And he's another guy um, coming back from injury that um, you know it would be wonderful to have his his um, availability um, once again for this year's series. Yeah. Well, Josh, I can't thank you enough for your time today. You're always really great with your time. I hope you have a happy Easter over the bye period. It's coming a good time for you, the buys. And good luck for Cronulla for the next few weeks, and we'll talk later on in the year. No, I appreciate your time. Thanks, thanks for the call. A big thanks to Josh for coming on the show today. He's due a gold jacket at some stage for joining the Six to Go Hall of Fame, but it's been great to have him on today, and we'll catch up with him in a few weeks for State of Origin. Can't wait for that. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at TCanfell, and don't forget to give the Six to Go Facebook page a like as well. My name is Tom Canfell. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Six to Go Podcast, and that is full time.